The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, a study by the Children's Commissioner for England has revealed that sexual violence commonly seen in pornography was found in half of police interview transcripts of child-on-child sex abuse cases. Therapists in Ireland have been reacting to the findings of the study, with some saying it's no surprise and that action is needed. Joining me to discuss is Tanya Ward, CEO of the Children's Rights Alliance, and Dr. Rosalind McIlvanny, clinical psychologist and psychotherapist in St. Clair's Unit Children's Health Ireland. And Tanya, let me uh, start with you, because the the revelations of this study, first of all, the level of child-on-child sexual violence is uh, fairly um, shocking. And the fact that child-on-child sexual violence seems to be informed by, influenced by, I don't want to uh, go so far as to say caused by, but definitely contributed to uh, by access to pornography. How surprised are you to read these findings? Look, I'm not not surprised at all because if you look at the overall statistics, generally what you see of of children and young people who have been assaulted um, in half of the cases is usually by another minor. And um, we know from the frontline therapists and the people investigating these types of crimes, they say pornography is often part of the equation and has contributed to why uh, the, the person abused the, the other child. But I suppose the other side of it is I know we have a problem with consent in this country in that our children and young people are growing up and they don't have a good enough understanding of what consent means in intimate relationships. So, for example, a couple of years ago, there was a study in Galway that came out and they found that one in five 50-year-old boys in this study thought it was okay to assault another uh, young person uh, without consent. They didn't realise that um, th- this this would be classified as rape or, or sexual assault. So, you know, we've, we've a bigger problem, I think, in Ireland when it comes to this content arriving. Our young people aren't equipped with the rules around what is uh, what is an appropriate relationship, the rules for a good citizenship. Um, and they're also being exposed to content that can be very harmful as well, because I suppose the other thing, and I find this extremely frustrating, not only as a children's rights campaigner, but also as a parent, you know, as children as young as nine are accessing pornography online. And we have created, we made the internet and we haven't designed it with children in mind. So what, what frustrates me is that a child can get on and can land on pornography very easily. And these websites don't take any responsibility for that. But the other thing is they're not just landing on a pornography website. These websites are creating very toxic, violent situations in their pornography. It's all designed to hold on to a child, whoever's using the platform for as long as possible. And they know they know that if they design algorithms to create extreme events, you're more likely to hold the person's interest. And I suppose, you know, the answer to this, it, you know, starts with education, education of children, parents, making sure that's part of the school curriculum. But it also starts with making these platforms responsible for the content that they are providing and for the the, the service users that are accessing it. Which goes to some extent to the issue of consent that you raise because you raised the the fact that um, a lot of particularly young boys and young men didn't understand the nature of real consent. But even if there is consent, there is an issue as to the type of behaviours that are now being normalised and consented to. The British study said the most common category of sexual violence viewed on uh, pornography. 35% of cases involving slapping, strangulation, whipping, punching or kicking. 
So even when in, in these instances there is consent, in some aspects of it, one wonders whether or not they are consenting to things that they shouldn't. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, the other thing, and it's not just actually children and young people that are acting out these types of scenarios. It's come up that young adults are acting out these scenarios as well and thinking that this is normal sexuality when it's not. Because the volume of violence that has appeared on these websites is extreme and it's all down to these algorithms that they have introduced. So, you know, you need to regulate these websites at all levels, to be honest. It's not just who's accessing them and whether they're mature enough and whether it's appropriate or legal, but it's also actually what they are providing and what they are harvesting uh, I think we need to look at that as well. It's all part of, I suppose, the internet being this wild west with no regulation. And it is unfortunately having a direct impact on the welfare of our children and young people. So the other thing, Anton, that I think is really significant to this discussion is the government is about to publish the SPHE curriculum. And there's been a lot of coverage actually about, you know, should it cover consent, discussions about um, sex, should it cover pornography. But the truth is, if it doesn't um we'll we'll continue to have situations where children are assaulted by other children and where children are acting out unnatural and uh, abnormal behaviors that they have seen online because parents are struggling to to grapple with it when they talk to their children Uh, so we need to support them with their schools with their youth services all having the same discussion we need to be working together as a community to address what children and young people are encountering in the online world well, I mentioned earlier on that I have Dr. Rosalind McIlvenny, uh, who is clinical psychologist and psychotherapist in St. Clair's Unit Children's Health Ireland with us as well. And I know it's a difficult thing to do, Rosalind, but to what extent is it possible to attribute correlation or causation? Is it that children are finding themselves unsupported and in environments that are problematic and one of the problems is exposures to pornography or is pornography causative in the kind of behaviours we're seeing? Well, I think, Anton, first of all, thanks for inviting me on. I think probably what the UK report, uh, Commissioner's report is providing evidence for something that as clinicians we've known about for some time. So it is actually providing quite robust evidence, having reviewed a lot of there's been a lot of research looking at this, particularly in the last 10 years. So we actually have a lot of evidence now to show quite a strong correlation between um, viewing of pornography, particularly introduction to viewing of pornography at an early age and then later either exposure to victimization or acting out. So it's important to kind of bear that in mind. It also leaves children more vulnerable to being victimized as well as children more vulnerable to acting out what they've seen online. And in terms of preventing it, is is it possible to prevent children, given the ubiquity of smartphones, getting access to pornography? So is the task to prevent access or is the task to create understanding and interpretation in the awful event that they do get access? I think I think both. I mean, first of all, I think what the Children's Commissioner is really calling for is to prevent access. I mean, I think it's it's interesting because I've worked in the field for a very long time. St. Clair's Unit has been in operation since 1988. And, you know, let's say 20 years ago, we saw children who were acting out sexually and they may have had access to pornographic material, you know, maybe their parents' magazines or, you know, seeing things in, in, uh, in, the, in the, you know, in the local sweet shop, there may have been pornographic magazines on the shelves, etc. Um, but there's no doubt about it, the, the increased access to smartphones 
is really what has exploded this issue. Um, so I, I think the, you know, preventing them being able to access it is far too easy for children to access pornographic material, either through their smartphone, their iPad or their computer or whatever. There aren't there aren't enough restrictions there and there should be. And that is really what the Children's Commission is, is, is looking for. And then the other piece of it is, you know, the impact of when they act, because actually a lot of younger children accidentally come upon uh, pornographic material. It's not that they go looking for it. Older children may go looking for it, but younger children tend to talk about, you know, things popping up on their phone and then being very, younger children being very distressed at seeing this material. The problem is that the more it pops up on their phone, the more they become desensitised to it, the more they become curious. And then this unfortunately forms their attitudes and views towards sex and sexuality and towards themselves. So we, we do know that it has quite a significant negative impact on children when they see this material. So I, I think both of the pieces that you've raised there, first of all, um, preventing access to it, and secondly, being able to respond. I think, you know, parents um, need a lot of support here, too, in terms of how to react when your child has accidentally accessed material that has been really distressing for them. Um, and, I, and I think one of the things that we find is that it's difficult for children to go to their parents and talk about this this um material that they're accessing because they know that it's wrong and they know that it that there's something you know disturbing about it and and it may be difficult for children to actually go and get help and reach out for support around it. You described that the separating line between older children seeking it, younger children coming across it by accident. What sort of age groups are we talking? Well, if, if you look at the UK Commissioner's report, we're talking about um, children over 11, 12, deliberately accessing pornographic material. Um, quite a proportion of, of young teenagers looking at pornography uh, twice a week. Um, so they, they actually looked at what they call frequent use versus infrequent. Um, so they, they have a number of young teenagers in their study who would look at it several times a week. Um, so those are children who are actively looking for it. And as Tanya mentioned earlier, you know, the, the, the algorithms that they use, the, the way that the business model that's used in these uh, porn sites is to um, make, the, make the material more titillating, um, to escalate the level of violence, to, you know, introduce new, unique material so that they can actually encourage um, more and more um, young people to, to view it and, and, you know, not just young people, obviously adults as well. But that that is the difficulty is that this is the way these um, sites are designed. They're designed um, to attract young people. I, I noticed in the report they mentioned that the value of these um, combined websites is, is higher than Netflix, possibly even exceeding the Hollywood business uh, movie industry. And one assumes that even if it doesn't lead to, as it does in a lot of cases, child on child um, sexual abuse, it must corrode and inform young people's understanding of what is sexual normality as they mature. Yes. yes. And, and that is actually a major problem. And as you said, because, you know, a lot of young people and children will not go on to necessarily act out in, in a violent or, or aggressive way. But, but the real problem is that it is forming young people's views and attitudes about sex. It is normalising sexual aggression. Um, they, they look at the, the research that has been done looks at issues like um, coercion, um, physical aggression, humiliation. These are the kind of core components of that hardcore pornography material. And this teaches young people to expect this. I mean, I think one of the studies that they referred to in the report, they talked about almost 50 percent of, of young girls expecting sexual aggression to be part of normal sexual interaction. 
that's really, really worrying that young people would actually think this is normal, that, that it, this is to be expected. And therefore, you know, why would you why would you actually um, I, I'm just thinking when you were talking earlier about consent, consent needs to be informed and young people are not informed. You know, they don't understand themselves what is normal and what is not normal. Tanya Ward, if I can go back to you, there's a, a text in to say, I agree with everything that uh, person is saying in terms of the damage porn can do. However, there are child parental settings on all devices. Therefore, if and when a child uses the internet, these sites should be blocked if the parent has done their job and activated the child settings. So is this a matter of parental culpability? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I think accusing every parent of, you know, in this situation is, isn't helpful. But it, it is true that not every child is has the settings set on the devices that they're accessing. And there has been a lot put into, I suppose, educating parents on, on how to get this right. But, you know, it, 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 I don't think you can rely solely on parents um, and setting di- different uh, controls because, you know, parents are up to their eyeballs. And uh, particularly when children are a bit older in their teenage years um, and they've got other children, it, 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 it is just more challenging. And the other side of it is, you know, you could be in a family home where, you know, you're not being looked after and maybe you are being neglected. And what happens in those kind of situations? And then some children will find ways to get around the parental settings as well. So. Obviously, parental education is part of this. I mean, I know parents, you know, need to be one of the key people talking to their children about pornography. And, you know, it's very hard to start when someone is 12, you know, to have that conversation or 10. You know, if you talk to the the experts in this space, they say you as a parent need to be talking about sex at a, at a young age with your child in an age appropriate way, right? So, so at each age, as you, as you move along the spectrum, as the child develops and grows and matures, you have to have that trust. So the, if a situation does arise where a child comes across something that they are disturbed by, or if, I mean, the other thing that's a commonplace event is that you're approached by an adult online and uh, they may communicate to you about uh, about sex or they may show you something or try to get you to behave in a certain way. Like really what you want to happen for a child when that happens is they, can't, they, they tell their parent immediately that this has happened. Um, and there are situations where children don't do that. And I think in those situations, children are afraid their device is going to be taken away from them or they mightn't have the language or ability to talk to their parents about this and then you want to talk to children about well look talk to someone an adult that you trust and that could be your teacher it could be an aunt could be a grandparent someone else so you're not in a situation where another adult can can harm you online I mean this is really challenging stuff to be honest um you know and what we what 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 endangers children in the online world unfortunately is is much more harmful in the online world because people have access to your children in a way that they never had before dr rosaline McAvaney, i'll just give the, the final word to you on that to what extent is the answer to this what Tanya Ward is describing there, where there is open dialogue between parents and children and children have the scope to talk to their parents about these kind of matters? And to what extent is it legislating access to this material? Well, I think parents are very um, helpless if there isn't legislation legislating the access. You know, you can't leave it all to parents. Parents do need to be initiating conversations with their children. In order to do that, they need to be equipped with the information, but they need to feel that, they're, they, that the legislation is, is backing them up. They need to feel that the government and the, the society as a whole is supporting them in what they're trying to do. You know, parents can't parent children on their own. It takes the community. Um, and in our case, we need that kind of legislative backup 
to support what parents are doing on a daily basis. But I do think it's really important also that I think if one message could be taken from this this um, programme this morning is that parents would actually initiate conversations with their children, ask their children about it, because my, my concern is, and I, I know from lots of personal ex- and professional experience, that a lot of children are accessing pornographic material and parents would be horrified to know that that's actually, actually happening. And at what age does one begin to do that? You begin to do it from the very beginning. I mean, this is something I've written written a lot about in terms of sexual abuse and any kind of um, sexually inappropriate material. You start conversations from the very beginning, age-appropriate conversations insofar as what children understand. But it needs to happen from the very beginning. Rosalind McIlvenny, thank you very much. That's Rosalind McIlvenny, uh, clinical psychologist and psychotherapist in St. Clair's Unit Children's Health Ireland and before her, Tanya Ward, CEO of the Children's Rights Alliance. If anything you've heard has affected uh, you, you can call 1-800-666-6666 or you can go to childline.ie and avail of their live messaging service. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.